1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, July 22nd, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake here with Raoul Powell, co-founder and CEO of Real Vision. Raoul, we made it to another Friday. It's been a hell of a week.
2: (laughs) I know. Lovely to see you. It's always good to get together on a Friday with you.
1: It is, and it's good to it's it's a nice opportunity for us to kind of recap. And you almost forget what happened at the beginning of the week because there's been so much information dumped on us again, we had a lot of interesting economic data. And I thought of you particularly when we saw the Philly Fed. We'll get to that in a minute. We had larger than expected rate hike from the ECB first time in eleven years. And yet we had crypto rallying. We had tech stocks rallying. the NASDAQ ending the week up, I think something like three percent, even though it was down today. So when you look at all of this going on, you know, What are you thinking about? How are you interpreting all of this? Well,
2: for me, everything is coming into focus, and it's really becoming crystal clear. I've been writing about this in um, Real Vision um, Pro Macro for months saying, "Okay, this is where we're going. These things take time to play out. And these things mean, okay, the markets need to price in uh, a collapsing growth and the inflation story is going to change into a growth story and it's going to pivot what markets do so things like oil which have been leaders will not do as well commodities commodities will get hit because of demand destruction and we'll eventually see bonds rolling over and probably more so oil and as we see that trigger we will see the kind of growthier end of the market starting to outperform So That had been my base case for a while, and I've been counting it down and showing people. I've showed it on Twitter, I've been writing about it in depth, and talking on on Daily Briefing about it, and also on Real Vision, I've had some updates. but Basically, it's now become clear from the forward-looking data, the Philly Fed and everything else is just showing it. But if you start to look at the really forward data, like um, the new orders component of, of all the regional Fed surveys, they're pricing things like ISM at 35. You know, these are shocking declines, which I've been trying to tell people about. Is economic growth over the next three months is going to shock people to the downside, and it's going to change everybody's narrative from okay, we're in this sticky inflation environment, um, you know, the supply constraints to oh my god, we've broken the economy, and I can see that globally happening as well, and so that's what I think we're setting up for. Next, I think it's not next week, the week after is ISM. That's the big one for me, because I'm expecting ISM to either hit 50 or even go through it, which would kind of surprise people. But I think it goes below 40 in the next two to three months, which is not what people are expecting. And that changes how the markets are positioned. So the markets are very positioned, still short bonds, and underweight bonds. People are massively underweight equities now. And they were and still are underweight crypto. And that's not the general public, but that is people like crypto hedge funds, massively underweight. Some of them have so much cash. And, and people are still overweight commodities. So, and the dollar has been the other key variable. I mean, there's a lot going on. This is a pure macro environment. I mean, it's all about macro right now. So the dollar has been screaming higher. It's kind of stabilized a bit for now. Um, it's not yet clear to me if the dollar moves another leg higher now, or we correct a bit longer and then move higher. Don't know. I imagine if growth implodes, the dollar moves. The dollar is already pricing ISM around forty-five, so it's already pricing a full recession. But I think it's going to be bigger than that. So I think the rate of change in the dollar goes further. So that's still a wrecking ball, still to keep playing out over time. I think there's still washouts to come from the energy sector and others. Doesn't mean we go all the way back to the pre-COVID levels, where many of the markets have got to, but we're going to retrace a lot more of that. My base case is that oil comes down somewhere between $80 and $60, to $80 and $60. The equity markets are somewhat more complicated, because they're already pricing in. The S&P is pricing in ISM around 45, so there's a bit more room. The NASDAQ is around about 40. So it's pretty much priced in what I think is coming. My forward-looking indicators, which I'll show in a minute, will bring suggest that the bottom of the economic trough is like March next year, but I think stocks bottom first. So in 2018, they bottom a year before the economy. Um, in, 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 uh, the seven, in 1974, these are the parallels I've been using it, it bottomed three months before. So I th- it's somewhere between that. So I think they bottom in the next few months, or they have bottomed, which mm-hmm. is contrary to what most people think. Yeah. If they price in the the ISM properly, there should be another leg lower. And that should be the final leg for me. Um, so that's what I'm looking at. Now, corroborating evidence is that crypto started going up. And many of these tokens have risen 100% mm-hmm. in a yeah. week and a half or two weeks. Now, they broke these patterns where everybody was expecting another leg lower, much like they are in equities, which makes me slightly suspicious of equities, which I don't like being short. Um, But Crypto did really well. It's now overbought. We're putting in like DMARC9 patterns, which tend to be a short-term correction. Now do we go back to retest the lows based on the growth numbers and other stuff? I don't think so. I think we're more sideways consolidation than another rip higher. But it's not clear to me. But I think the base is in, and I've been saying that for a while now, because crypto is a very forward-looking asset, and it will look further ahead than anybody else. And it's sniffing out the change in bond yields. So that brings me on to the most important part, which is bond yields. Bond yields are now rolling over. As I've been forecasting, they're about to break a head and shoulders top pattern. So, Brian, if you can show the head and shoulders top pattern, um, which is this chart here, 275 in 10 year bond yields. If it breaks that, then we should start to go down below 2%, um, I think somewhere around 175. So, that's not what the market expects. But if you think of what that does to growth the assets, it's taking down the future discount rate. And if that means that inflation is coming lower, then you're taking some of the inflation expectations out. So things like what I refer to as the exponential age stocks, the further out the growth curve, things like Scottish Mutual Trust in the UK, which I've just interviewed on Real Vision, they're amazing, some of the best tech investors in the world, they're going to be coming on. Um, but also, you know, whether it's the semiconductors, whether it's Arc, whether it's robotics, and all of this that I've got a whole basket of. These should start to stabilize and do okay. And we're starting to see that now, but it's still early days because they will be slightly behind crypto in terms of forward looking. So we're at this massive shift where inflation goes, growth goes, and bond yields start to fall. So, Brian, if you can show the chart of the um, GMI kind of financial indicator. So, this is the financial conditions index that we put together. Um, am pleased to announce Julian Bittle, who many people know has joined Global Macro Investor as my head of macro research, and he put this chart together. Um, and so what this shows is that financial conditions, this is the rate of change of the dollar, rate of change of yields, and rate of change of commodities, are showing a massive decline in growth. And it, and it leads ISM by nine months, which tells us that in nine months' time, ISM will have bottomed, because it's already ticking up. So when we map assets across them, and if anybody goes to my Twitter feed today, you'll see that all assets correlate to ISM except crypto, which I'll come on to. So they all correlate, all macro. It's all about the business cycle. If you don't understand that, then it's really difficult to navigate yourself around this world because you're flying blind. But when you look at it, this chart, what it's saying is bonds are the most mispriced of all assets. They're actually pricing the ISM at 65 which is mm. not where it is today. It's in the mid-50s, well, yeah, mid to low 50s. Then it's high yield spreads. Then it's small caps. Then it's cyclicals. They're all kind of roughly in line with ISM. So these could move lower. S&P 500, as I said, is leading the ISM. It's at 45. The NASDAQ is getting down to 40. And that GMI exponential age basket is already pricing ISM at 35. It's massively discounted. So what does a chart like that tells you is that you should be looking to acquire the long end of growth if you think inflation is going to be less of a concern and rates aren't going to be as high. So our job is to live 12 to 18 months in the future. 12 to 18 months, we should have had a recession. Rates should have come lower. Inflation should be lower. Therefore, these stocks should be higher. That's kind of how you need to think about macro. And bonds, Well, if they're not pricing in the recession right now, then they give us a gift of an opportunity, which is the buy bonds, wear diamonds theme, where bond yields have lagged, where the economic indicators are because of the reallocation out of bonds because of inflation fears that's happened massively. So I think that readjusts and people panic back into bonds. Finally, crypto. So if you bring up the final chart, Brian, is crypto isn't driven by the business cycle, but it's. Driven by global liquidity. So, this is the global M2 um, deviation from trend. So, it's the rate of change of M2 and how far it is away from trend. And it's about one and a half standard deviations away from trend and it's turning higher. That time it ever happens, both at the top and the bottom, leads to the turn in the crypto markets because liquidity drives crypto. Remember, this is not a cyclical asset. So, it doesn't go back to where it was, like oil and commodities. It's a network adoption model that goes up and to the right over time with these big volatile bands. Now, a lot of people had the narrative that this was driven by the halving. Now maybe the halving, which is a reduction of supply every four years in Bitcoin, is a factor because it's correlated with liquidity. So what you're doing, you put more liquidity into the markets leads to more people able to allocate capital into this, into a low supply environment, which is the halving. You don't need the halving as a necessary precursor. Ethereum is about to have a triple halving event. I'm going to do a whole update um, over the weekend, I'm going to film for for Real Vision members about all of this, the Mm. macro, crypto, the ETH merge, ETH yields, why it all matters. But the point being is macro is the driver of everything. And once you understand that, you understand where the world should be going. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together.
1: Well, I, we, we've got some stuff to tease out there, but I but I, but I want to ask you about that. Because I think when you say macro is the center of everything, everything's about macro. Explain For those who haven't been living in that world, you do all the time. But for those who haven't been, what do you mean by that exactly?
2: So what is macro? It's macroeconomic investing. So what you're doing is using the global economy as a forecast for asset prices. And you're looking for dislocations, mispricings, or opportunities based on that. So normally, how we look about this is the business cycle. The business cycle is the ups and downs of GDP that economists never forecast, because they use linear models. But once you understand that the economy is cyclical, you understand, okay, it's forecastable, because usually when it rolls over from a peak, it goes to a trough, which is a recession. After recession, you go to recovery. That cycle, you can show a three-year-old kid, and they go, oh, yeah, well, the economy goes up and down. You ask an economist at the Fed, and they say it's linear, as do all economists. It's crazy. It's crazy that people don't model this, which is why macro-based investors tend to use the business cycle, because it gives us an edge, and why all economists tend to be very wrong at turning points and these acceleration points, but tend to be right over a longer-term time horizon when you look at averages. So when you start using these, you realize that it actually drives all asset prices. So the year-on-year rate of change of copper, oil gold, equities, credit, emerging markets, bonds, everything is basically related to the business cycle, which is global supply and demand. So once you understand how to use the business cycle and what it is, and then how to look at asset prices against it, it like opens up this magical mystery world that is so confusing until you do this. And once you do this, you're like, Oh, I get it now. It's all correlated.
1: And And that's the thing. People have been living in silos because they in the US we tend to be very equity-centric, right? And the for the folks who are in the crypto world, they've been really focused on crypto and they have an idea of what they want to do. And then everyone feels like they've been sideswiped because we haven't We've had suppressed business cycles somewhat because of central bank action, and people didn't realize that there was all this correlation. And I think that's what's really special about the things that we've been talking about, about how do do you open that door for people? How do you get them to see that there is this sort of learning journey that needs to happen? And I know that's something we've been thinking about really hard here.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I try really hard to educate people on Twitter, on the platform, and everything else, but we can't. Do it at the scale. I see from all the comments, people just don't understand. They know it's important, but they don't even know how to think about all of this, not just what is macro, but how to invest, how to think about building portfolios, how to think about risk. What is technical analysis? What the hell is Rael talking about when he talks about DMARC indicators? Mm-hmm. What do those numbers mean? What What does any of this mean? Right, I get it's important. I know it's the, it's my future. It's my financial future. My vision of myself is based on how well i can invest the capital that i've got or protect it but i don't understand right that is so common and it's normal it's okay we've all been there and you know if you work in a bank trading floor you're lucky because you learn from your customers or you learn from the people around you and they have courses other people go online to find courses and there's either a bunch of shitty youtube courses by people who've never really been in markets or they're really expensive and again generally by not the highest quality people, why? Because the highest quality people don't need the money to charge for a course. So what you get is a self-selective bias. And I've been concerned about this since I started Real Vision. It's like you know, if we believe in our mission to democratize the very best financial information, education is part of it. We talk about learning all the time, but we can't just leave people to try and figure it out. Now we do already create learning pl- content on the platform, you know, explainers and all sorts, even for. The 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 pro macro we have explained this because people are like, I, I don't get this yet. And that's fine. And, and that's OK. There's nothing wrong with not, not understanding. But it's wrong if I don't help or we don't help as Real Vision. So what we actually did was worked with an old friend of mine that was at Goldman Sachs with me called Lex Van Dam. And when I was running the hedge fund sales desk, he was running equity proprietary trading. So he was running a book. Then we both left and went to GLG. He ran the European Long Short Fund and I ran the macro fund and we sat opposite each other. And he's a very um acerbic, cynical Dutchman, and we'd have a lot of fun together. And we worked at GLG for quite some time. And then we both left and we ended up creating a show that Lex designed for the BBC called Million Dollar Traders, where we taught ordinary people to become hedge fund managers. And Lex put up a million bucks of his own money and I helped design the course. Lex then turned it into a course. And and sold it. But he's a typical trader who's a terrible salesman. And so I reached out to him and said, Lex, you've built this incredible course. Can we buy it off you? And I want to turn it into something magic. So we acquired that course a couple of years ago. And then quietly in the background, we have been completely retooling a course. So this is somebody who was an amazing trader, very well known, who built this with me for the BBC, and now we've turned it into this unbelievable thing called the Real Investing course. And what's unbelievable, it was a $3,500 course. But we're going to put this course into Real Vision Plus for free, which is because I want to change the game. I, I want to democratize this. Mm-hmm. And what we've done, I mean, you've been part of this, Maggie, you are instrumental, you are one of the, the breakout stars in, in the whole <laughs> thing is we've taken our content library of thousands of hours cut it down to prescient moments that apply to people then built a structured course and then on top of that we have had explainers about the course and we've we've added all sorts of surprise elements and created a new look and feel for it and so We've built something that is unlike anything anybody has. We've got the rock stars of Real Vision who are all helping us, so they're teaching us, so we've got specific courses. Even Tom DeMark has done an entire course on Demark indicators that's coming soon. We've got technical analysis courses from Peter Brandt, Dave Floyd. We've got all sorts of learnings from portfolio management, construction, understanding how macro works, economic data works, everything. So we've tried to give people tools, but this is a dynamic thing. This is not something we just dump. This is going to integrate with our content and keep building because there's no way and you can learn from me is I'm still learning, we're all still learning. So this well, is a lifelong journey. That's
1: the thing it never stops, does it? I mean yeah. how many so we by the way we have a clip you just explained it, so we're not going to run the clip because well, but we'll, we'll, you can go find it. We'll put it on the platform in YouTube where Damien, the other co-founder of Real Vision, and you both talk about this um, and the genesis of this. But the thing that's so striking to me is both in all of the interviews I do, but but on the podcast, my life in four trades, where we have really, really experienced people talking about the four best and worst trades they have. The thing they're mo- the thing they like to talk about the most is the failures, the worst trades, which did not I did not expect. Because it's where they learn, and in many cases, some of those worst trades are trades they're in right now, and they're still learning from them. Like, it doesn't stop. It is something that you continually have to do because the world is changing. Who knew we were going to have a war, right? That's got to that's factor into how you yeah, and think also about something like that. One of the
2: things I, I was taught was to take notes when you make trades of why you did the trade, what your expectations were. What your risk tolerance was, what your time horizon was. Because your internal voices, so we've got trading psychologists as well in, as part of this course, because your own enemy is yourself. So we can give you all of the tools. I can teach you everything. We can have all of the best people in the world teaching you, and you will screw it up because of the voices in your head. And you need to learn how to tame those voices and use them to your advantage. So that's in there too. I mean, I. I I'm really proud of this. I've watched the whole thing and I think it's game changing. I don't think there's anything like this that's been done before.
1: Because one one of the things is, and we get this, and by the way, it's it's so funny we're talking about this because we have a question actually from um, El Calzador on YouTube. How does time play into weighting macro probabilities and actions to take against those probabilities? If timelines can't be estimated effectively, how can someone Effectively take action. That's exactly the kind of thing that we're hoping to address. And we get these questions all the time.
2: So, time horizon plus the volatility of the asset will set your position size, which is your risk, right? So, crypto, long duration, big volatility, smaller positions. um, So, it fits within the risk tolerance that you have. And you can tweak those. But yes, we teach all of this kind of stuff, because all of these things need to be mapped together. I mean, one of the most incredible things I ever saw was when I asked Kyle Bass to interview John Burbank, so two really famous hedge fund managers. First question, Kyle, he just couldn't bleat it out fast enough was, John, how do you size your positions? These things are hard questions. There's no simple answer. And we cover all of this too.
1: But, but so the other thing I I think is really fantastic about this, and we should say that this is not the idea of sitting in a, I think people are going to think you're sitting in a macroeconomic class and we're spending some time talking about this because it's never been harder, right? It's never been hard. I'm sitting here looking at my 401 and freaking out and trying to think about the right thing to do right now for my family. It's, it's, it's across the board, right? So when you're talking, size your positions, some people think two things, a, I'm not a professional. It's not for me, but that's not true because risk is something we all have to think about in our time horizon. And the second thing is, oh my God, I avoided macroeconomics when I was in college. By the way, so did I, liberal arts major, because it's so boring. Um, but that's where the fun part um, with Damien and the team came yeah, in I mean, because look, they're, it it's, in not, it's not your average, believe me, as as look, smoke wafted around me. That's all I'm going to tell you And part of this. i are <laughs> the smoke. It's not your real, average. But we are
2: real story. vision and we will do things in our own style. And so... <laughs> You know, conversations in pubs as explainers, all sorts. So it's actually engaging. It's fun. It's interesting. It's filmed differently. It feels fresh. It's not a classroom. There's no bloody whiteboards. It's not boring. It's not economics. It's practical, applicable, understandable, engaging, fun learning
1: right and and we want to hear from everyone by the way too it's a, it's a conversation so it's not us lecturing you there's going to be constant updates and constant input from the community the great we'll, hive mind that we have which i think is important that's
2: right and we'll create a place in the community where people can learn with each other and ask questions of each other right this is a dynamic process and there is no stupid questions so many things none of us know and we're all on the learning journey together so it's great so li- listen those of you who are not real vision members or real vision plus members if you're Real Vision members, you'll you'll get an email, whatever it, I don't know when it comes out. I think it's next week, the week after, something like that. Who knows? Um, and if I name a date, I'll get shot by George. So I'm not gonna do it. Um but <laughs> we've been the, dying
1: though. We've been dying to say a date. It's too- I know.
2: Um, but if you're not a real vision member and you want to learn, because I can't express how important it is, particularly in markets like this, realvision.com forward slash wait list. Just go there and get yourself on the waitlist massive discounts i know this sounds like a sales pitch but trust me we're trying to change everybody's lives here it's not you know a product to sell we're giving it away to real vision members for free because it's so damn important
1: yeah and it's a response to the questions we've been getting speaking of let, let's knock out a few, Raoul, before we before we it. have to say goodbye. Um, so, I think the, I'm going to ask one that's not on here, but I know everyone this week has asked me this, and I think you alluded to it before. You've got a contrary view on stocks, but everyone asking is this a bear market rally? And I think they're asking that about equities as well as crypto.
2: So, in crypto, I don't think it is. I think it's the foundational rally that starts it all off. In equities, I'm not sure. I, my hunch is because of that year-on-year year rate of change that I showed you, that it's not quite fully pricing in where we should be going, we might have another leg lower, or it might squash along the bottom. Um, and because of the year-on-year year comparisons versus last year, um, you know, in two or three months' time, it, it kind of maps that. So I don't know is the answer, and I wish I had a better answer, but I don't. I, I'm, I'm pretty 50-50 on that one. So yeah. that's why I'm not involved. As I said, I am involved in those long duration stocks, but in the bulk of the market, I'm like, you know, I, I don't see a good short opportunity here. And I don't see a good long opportunity here. Feels 50-50.
1: Yeah. And people have been cautioning about shorting in a bear market rally because you can really get caught out. So just be careful on that. If your time horizon is short and you're looking to trade this as opposed so to a story opportunity longer term.
2: Is a learning story about this. Good friend of mine, great trader. 2001, saw the recession coming, saw the bear market coming, oversized his positions, got caught out in the bear market rallies, shorted again, got caught out again, was down 35% and basically had to close his fund, even though he was dead right.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I laugh um, very very early on. Guest uh, on My Life in Four Trades was Hugh Henry, and he had a great line. I, I think he, he should make T-shirts on it. The arrogance and conceit of a well-formed argument, right? You can have the best argument in the world, but if you're not taking care of all that other Stuff and watching your size and risk, you're you're going to be caught out by that. Um, and that's one of the lessons from one of his worst trades. Um, another question from Jimmy Two uh, K: Do you see the U.S. in the same scenario as Japan, where stocks bottomed and stayed there for years?
2: Um, I actually think the setup in the U.S. is different. Um, for I I thought this for a long time. That was my base case, going back to 2001. I thought that's what we'll do. But really, we have two mechanisms that nobody else has in the US that makes it dynamically different. Three. One is buybacks that generally don't exist anywhere else. So buybacks drive share prices higher over time. It's basically reduced supply of equities, Secondly, or or, or enforced demand. Secondly, um, we have 401ks, which in the US are heavily allocated to equities. In Europe and Japan, they're heavily allocated to fixed income, Um, because the populations are slightly older, so generally, people want a fixed income. It's a different risk tolerance, and laws were made to do that as well, to try and protect people from the volatility of the swings. So That's another thing, and there's a larger millennial population in the US that's now coming into their 401k savings, and that piles into the market and drives things higher. Thirdly, the US has the world's reserve currency, and when, when it debases its currency, via quantitative easing, that drives the US equity market higher. So I don't believe that the US equity market will do what Japan and Europe did, most likely. I don't say it's
0: a zero chance at all, but I don't think so. Ah, mm, The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.
1: Uh, Tim in New York, um, so it would not surprise you to see markets make new lows, but will it be quick? And I would say, this also relates to the recession. Is it short and shallow, or is it long and and drawn out?
2: Um, so I, so I think, again, it's it's not always clear. I think it's short and sharp. Um, you know, yeah, I think it's short and sharp. I think consumption holds up okay, but not in the big ticket items and stuff like that. We've seen the confidence has collapsed there, but I think it's, I think it's short and sharp. And I think equities bot- bottom maybe six months before the economy. And therefore, I'm looking for if we do have another sell-off, it's short and sharp. So it's kind of this August, September, October period is peak risk for equities, mm. maybe even shorter term than that, maybe just July and August. But yeah. let's see. I, I, I can't get good, good odds on it yet. But that's that's how I think it plays out. But it'll definitely bottom out before the economy will.
1: That that's a time period, time of the year too. That because can be they tough they will markets. be
2: looking at the bond market, which is already pricing in rate cuts. It's already starting to price in a Fed pivot, and if the ten-year yield breaks lower as well, it's giving you the information that okay, something's going to change at the Fed, and therefore the equity market will pick this up pretty fast.
1: Yeah, we 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 saw yields already this week move have have a big move. Um, but by the way, there was a second part of Tim's question: When are we buying EM and going to the beach? LOL. Cheers.
2: Um, you can't until the dollar falls. So, And the dollar, I think, goes higher, and I don't see a situation where the dollar goes much lower yet. Um, It's a real problem. And I I can't get to grips whether we have the really toxic um, dollar rally now, or whether it's in a year's time or two years time. I do think it goes higher. So the DXY, let's say, goes to maybe even 120, which is pretty nasty. But my God, if we start breaking through 120, let's say we correct for six months, nine months, and then we go through 120, well, then we're into kind of blue sky territory, and then you know, I fear of something like a plaza Accord agreement where people have to say right, enough is enough. We don't want the dollar as our trading currency, And eventually you see you you see the dollars collapse. Then you just buy emerging markets and go to the beach. I just don't think we're there yet. I just don't see it.
1: Um, what did you make of the ECB? It's it was it's such such a strange week when we had the ECB not only hike rates for the first time in eleven years, but surprised with fifty basis points, which was more aggressive than most people had been thinking. But almost in the same breath, know they're going to break stuff and had to put a tool in place to to help anti fragmentation. I mean, that's you know from the from the eurozone from splintering apart because not every country can deal with those higher rates, so they're trying to figure out a way to massage that. But kind of tells yes. you the pickle
2: they're in. Yeah, so that's pseudo yield curve control. Yes, we're going to raise rates, but no, we're not going to raise rates, and actually, we'll end up printing money if yields try and go higher. So they are painted into a corner. And I think they just wanted to try and change inflation expectations in Europe. But they know that they can't raise rates. I mean, they just can't have positive real rates in Europe without breaking everything. I mean, the banks have already been under pressure again and again and again. It's not good. So yeah, it's a mess. But I don't think yields go much higher. So I think Europe might get this stress because it's got larger economic problems. So I think they only have a short period of time where they might have to do what Japan's doing. But don't forget, if they're going to have to buy Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, et cetera, bond yields, well, the euro is going lower, which doesn't help with the dollar. (laughs) <laughs> that drives others. So, you know, it's very macro. It's not one hundred percent clear yet, but we need to keep our eye on all of this. These are the nuances that can turn things pretty ugly, pretty sharp elsewhere,
1: yeah, they can. and And, um, let's finish up with inflation because a lot of your view is predicated on the fact that you think inflation's going to fall pretty quickly. And I think this is where those who are in the other camp really disagree with you. They they're more in the stagflation camp, right? That we have sustained inflation, sticky inflation even if we see growth slowing down. They just can't see a way for, for inflation to, to revert back down and do it quickly.
2: Yeah, I see that, and I acknowledge that as a very valid view. Um, it's not my base case. It's not my base case because I look at the 1947 variety after World War II. We talked about this already, where everybody, after World War II, there was no supply chains, and everybody came into the civilian labor force again. And prices rose 20%. 18 months later, CPI was negative. Um, because growth had collapsed. I I hear what everybody says, the supply issues in commodities, but there are now demand issues too. And it depends how far this demand issue, because commodities this may last longer. Now, if oil stays down at let's say it gets to 80 bucks and stays there for a year, because demand is still weak around the world, obviously, because we'll be in a recession, well, then the year rate of change of oil is massively negative after a while. So the inflation pressures come down. Now, does core inflation come lower? What happens to wages? Well, it remains to be seen, but we're seeing job cuts already. We're seeing changes in the, in the economy. Things like mortgage rates will come down. Owners' equivalent rents will come down. They're all lagging. And as is CPI, and I think we'll see unemployment rise. So we've already seen agricultural commodities get cut in half. So remember, there was the narrative you know, peak fear was Peter Zion speaking to you saying, we're going to a global food crisis. Well, after that, food prices halved. Which, by the way,
1: when we were in California, you warned us. Um, th- this is be- I remember because I was like, wait, you you had an agricultural fund? When did that happen? You always have to watch you, Val, and you're like, I agriculture. It's very difficult. It moves very quickly. I should know because I ran one of those funds for a while. And- but you did, and that was what I can't even remember. It was May? I think that you and and they were on fire. They were everyone's pick.
2: Yeah, and I was saying, listen, be careful of this stuff. It's mm-hmm. not what you think because when growth implodes, agricultural commodities implode as well, and they're very very volatile. Um, So I just don't see the conditions of, if oil stays at 80, people get confused and think, well, the oil price is high, therefore, inflation. That is not inflation. Inflation is the rate of change. So oil would have to go to 160 to see the same rate of change we just had, just to maintain inflation at 8%, that kind of stuff. Mathematically, it's difficult. It takes a while to come down mathematically, too, as Jared Dillon pointed out recently. But I think 18 months. I give a reasonable probability that we have deflation in headline CPI.
1: That's a huge swing.
2: Well, Alex Gurevich mentioned this at that May event as well. Yes,
1: he did. Actually, <laughs> he did. And
2: so him and I about the and only. And it got two a lot people,
1: of a lot of reaction from the audience, if I recall. That's right.
2: And him, him and I are about the only two people who have been talking about it. I give it a decent probability.
1: What are you looking at to because I know you're always means testing and and this is something that will be covered in the course as well. Always checking, you know, constantly going against looking at all the data points to check your narrative, to check your framework that you're right. So what's the thing you're most worried about or that would you'd be you'd start to change things if you saw it? Is it wages? Because we do have the Fed next week.
2: No, I think they're all lagging. So that's irrelevant. We could just, you know, we we need to be six months, nine months later to figure out really what the impact is. I think it is things like the high frequency data, like the ECRI, the Economic Cycles Research Institute weekly data you can get off their website. Just check that to see whether it keeps going down. It's been falling. It's now in kind of recession territory. Um, the oil price. Um, oil price is roughly in line with ISM now. It should fall. Um, if that's stickier than expected, maybe inflation is sticky. But oil is not all inflation, right? It's only a small part of inflation. Um, as I said, bond yields will kind of tell us as well. I mean, the close right on the low or closing on the low at 274.86. So this level is the neckline of the head and shoulders top. How it breaks through that, does it continue to accelerate lower in yield? That that matters to me. So kind of the market reactions to what I'm thinking about. I don't see any world where my ISM forecast doesn't play out to a certain extent. Can it Can it be less bad? Can it happen a little bit slower? Yes. But it's about as high a conviction I could possibly have in terms of economic forecasts over the next you know three to six months. So I'm pretty comfortable with all of that. Um, let's see what happens to the other thing is unemployment rates. Any of the forward looking, they're already slightly we're starting to see that. Yeah. The ISM employment index is coming down. I think it'll go down sharply. You know, but again, I need to see this proven out. Um, but I'm pretty confident.
1: And it's interesting unemployment. We've been starting to hear it from the companies and they tend to, you know, watch Friday afternoons. That's when they sneak out all the bad news when no one's paying attention. Um, but we've we've been starting to see those little headlines about that's not going to show up in the data yet, but it's that almost like preemptive move. Um we, we haven't it's, started. It's to, everywhere. It's yeah.
2: everywhere, it's absolutely everywhere. Um,
1: Absolutely. It's worth pointing out as confident as you are, we are we are constantly mean testing <laughs> that because we have a lot of people on the platform that have you a very, have a very different you. view to me on purpose, right? Like you yeah, I do mean, that purposely.
2: I may be confident in my view. It doesn't mean I'm right. Um, <laughs> I'm just confident in, the, in what I'm seeing that's confirming my narrative, right? There's a difference between having a narrative you're comfortable with that feels like the right analysis for the right time and making money. They're two different things. Right, so markets are the thing the great leveler, and it's very important to have conversations with people who have different views. You know, I had a good conversation with Larry McDonald probably on next week. He's got a different view to me. he's much more of the secular and the 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 um, stagflation person you know i what i I find amazing is things like on Twitter where people shout at each other for having different views. No, there's different probabilities, so can I hold both ideas in my head that we have? sticky inflation or we have negative inflation or inflation just comes back down to the low end of the range. I can hold all three things in my head, not drive myself mad, and not accuse anybody else of being an idiot for being it wrong. We all are assessing the probabilities best we can and it's complicated and and that's okay.
1: Right. And some some things are going to resonate with you based on your risk time horizon, all of these things that that we break down. Uh, and and will be talked about in the, in the course. Um, so we'll have and, more information coming- And also, coming-
2: importantly, generally, even as a good investor, most people are wrong 50% of the time. Yes. So get used to being wrong yeah. and be humble because you will be wrong half of the time you open your mouth and utter anything in financial markets, and that's okay.
1: Uh, that And that's actually, you know, we're not, really not programmed to that, but almost everyone I talked to, Harley Bassman, Peter Brand, all of them said that. You're, you're, the goal is just not to be wrong 100% of the time. If you're right 50% of the time, you're doing really well.
2: And when you're wrong, you define your risk. Yeah. And when you're right, you let your risk run. That difference is what makes everything. If you lose two units every time you're wrong and make Eight units every time you're right. That fourth one risk reward. Do that all day. You be, you become a gazillionaire. Yeah. If the distribution is relatively normal. If it all ends up being, well, after you've gone bust because you've had two, two, negative two, negative two, <laughs> negative two. <laughs> two I yeah. can't help you. Markets yeah. are fruitful, right? They don't give you a nice easy distribution. No. They completely screw with you every time.
1: No, but those are all I think lessons a lot of people learned in what we just went through, right? So um that that's I think that that's a big takeaway and that's gonna be great. Before we go though, you also have an update coming out. So we'll have more information on the course, how to how to get it, how to get involved, and how to give feedback. Look for that next week. Yeah, promises. But you have an update coming out too, right?
2: Yeah, well, I'm gonna do it over the weekend because you know I've got this very strong view. I've also got a very strong view. It's probably gonna be on real vision crypto, not that it's all about crypto, but it's about This macro, the big tweet thread, the weakening of the economy, but also, it's about going into the ETH merge, what's happening in crypto, and why ETH having a staking yield is a complete game changer of a magnitude that nobody in crypto really understands yet. And I really want to get that across to people. I'm not saying ETH goes up in a straight line because of the merge. I'm just saying the entire structure of Web3 is going to change. And it's a very, very positive thing.
1: It's not a buy recommendation, just to be clear, everyone. It is uh, (laughs) an explanation as to why Rao is bullish on ETH. Those are two very different things. (laughs) Rao, great to catch up with you. So excited about everything that's coming out next week. Um, Have yourself a wonderful weekend.
2: Yeah, have a great weekend, everybody.
1: Enjoy. Take care and good luck out there.